Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing the value of playing games in order to learn. So, Nick, kick us off. Um, what is the value of playing games um, in relation to learning? Well, it's interesting you should ask that because I've just come back from a conference uh, called Connections UK, which was organised by um, uh, Graham Longley Brown and had war gamers. There were about 150 people there, uh, people from industry, from military, government, academia, and hobbyists. And um, it was genuinely the most fun conference I think I've ever been to. It was great. The first day was actually just a, a, a mega game. It was a big game organised by uh, Jim Wallman and Tom Moat, and uh, it was called War in Binny, and it was um, a 150-player simulation of a civil war, which was sort of somewhere more or less in Africa, a fictional country in Africa. Uh, had players pretending to be the UN, had players pretending to be different factions, it had people doing the military, it had people doing political stuff. Um and then uh, the next day there were talks about psychology and uh, the psychology of games and, and how games can be used for emergency and policy planning. Um, uh, Professor Rex Brynan at McGill University in Montreal gave a talk about what social science tells us about uh, uh, about you know, the, about games. Um, we got to play some games. I, I played a, a game designed by Andreas Hagman, which is about the UK's cyber security strategy. Um, there were discussions about how computers can support um the playing of games, real world games. So how how are games being used in the military to test doctrine and defence policy? Uh, and then um, there there were some discussions about uh, you know the extent to which uh, there are there is there are benefits in playing physical games. Stacey Petty, Petty John from Rand gave a talk about how actually just you know physically interacting with a set of rules gives people um, a framework for discussing real world issues. So. Lot really good fun, loads of interesting stuff there. Um, very much focused on the on the practical uh, importance of games, uh, the way that they are not just fun, but that they can be used to teach us stuff. Um, and so, yeah, there were there were questions that were raised explicitly and implicitly about, you know, what does gaming do that's different from simulation or analytical modeling, and do you learn stuff when you're playing a game? Okay, so hold on. So there's a huge amount of information there. Um, let's 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 break it down a little bit first of all i know we're we're not here to talk about the conference we're here to talk about uh uh playing games but still i want to talk about the conference a little bit more um so how many people were there i think it was about 150 and as so you said it there was from from different walks of life so you had government yeah. there you had private but you even had just some hobbyists there yeah there were some people there who just you know were there because they they like um gaming and board gaming and war so gaming. it didn't have the feel of a big serious corporate conference or it, it had it had the the look of a serious conference okay. but um you know being a bunch of gamers it was it was much more fun sure and for everyone's obviously got the same kind of nerdy interests as well so. yeah i'm glad you used that word not me um and so and what just one other thing that interested me you were talking about on the first day you played the civil war um game how 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 did that manifest itself physically? Would... Giant map in the middle of, of the room. The the so the the Binny room. Binny was the country we were in. Giant map in the middle with sort of area control, different part, different different states in this in this fictional country. Um, 
military forces on the map. We had a few, um, you know, militia units with with technicals and AK-47s. Uh, the government forces obviously were much better equipped. Um, and there were neighbouring countries who had, uh, you know, mechanised divisions and things floating about. So a uh, giant map in the middle and then a lot. But really, the emphasis was all on player interaction. It was about trying to persuade other people to uh, support your aim, uh, trying to define what your objectives were in some sense, because they weren't, you know, not, not clearly. We were given an objective. We wanted to get rid of the president. Um, that was our overriding objective. We also had other things. There were some groups we didn't particularly want to work with. Um, but really, it was, you know, uh, who could we help to marshal us in, okay. in in the pursuit of these aims? So. Well, I think the phrase in your element comes to mind. Mm. And um, so, OK. And and so one of the things you, you, you mentioned a couple of questions at the end there, which were, uh, I don't know if you can remember them, but it was along the lines of, well, what what what, what can gaming teach us? Or well, how you, you phrased it better than I did. What did well, you I say? Think, you know, can can do get can we learn from games? So now, obviously, that's a that's a broad question. There are lots of different aspects to learning. Um, you know, there's the question of whether or not they teach us facts. Do we do we learn facts better playing a game? Mm. Um, then there's the question of do we understand systems better? So if we're playing a game about civil war, do we learn something about civil war? That's that is better than say studying it or reading books about it. And then there's the even broader question of do does playing games actually improve our cognitive capabilities? Full stop. You know, one of the one of the things that you will hear people say is that you know playing games like chess makes you better at thinking about other types of problems okay so we're asking lots of questions there let's answer them so what's the answer Peter? well i think i think there's a lot there's um i think we're rediscovering uh, a type of learning only recently i think the sort of 1960s it started to be seriously suggested as a means of learning which is playing games and i think there's a whole discipline of, called active learning um, uh, rediscovering what we always used to do before we kind of industrialized education. Um, I, uh, so if, if you look at the animal kingdom um, and you look at predators in particular, they, dogs and cats, for example, they all, they all learn through play. So cats will fight each other as kittens to learn about how to fight. Um, uh, same, with, uh, uh, same with other predators. We, uh, humans, we would when we were learning how to forage and to hunt and things, we would observe and participate at, at, a, at a sort of lower controlled level with our elders until we were deemed ready to be sort of fully part of the part of the pack. Um, so it's, I think we're just refinding a new this 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 these in these semi artificial environments, uh, rediscovering the use of these as a means of education, um, and I think. So, because I think we have we we evolved with these process these these procedures, we um, it's likely that they are going to be very highly effective compared to by rote fact learning, um, and I think that so there are a lot there's good but sparse evidence pros and cons of different types of games, but generally it is if the game is sufficiently close to reality and it's topical to the to the uh, uh, to the subject under interest, then recall uh, and 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 ability to reuse the information is is greater when you have had a game learning rather than just sort of theory. Yeah, theory learning. I mean, all that makes sense. That sounds sort of fairly commonsensical, um, or certainly it does now. But I appreciate what you're saying. There was a long period where rote learning was um, what was believed to be best. Um, yeah, I think that the, our, when I say we industrialize learning, our 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 
the 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 western sort of learning teaching model um was more or less matured in victorian era to churn out uh, in volume people who were sufficiently literate and numerate to, to go and work in factories mm. um and and join the army and um, ran farms so um it, it only requires it's, it's optimized for volume at a sort of low quality mm. rather than um a volume at sort of a, a more in uh, a higher quality so so and i think this is going to be this is more this is more important in the the post-industrialist world industrial world where we are not so much needing people for manual jobs because they're going to be taken care of by machines mm. we are much more in a sort of ideas and information world these days where the winners are the people who have the best and most innovative ideas and are able to put those into practice yeah okay so creativity and innovation in uh, thinking innovatively okay so so all that makes sense all that sound that's common sense um but are there examples when it doesn't work when when playing isn't useful because it sounds like if you're gonna what we're saying is there are going to be situations if you're a cheater in later life when it's going to be useful if you're able to catch an antelope and so a great way of learning that is practicing by pouncing on your fellow cub right um that all makes sense and it like i say it sounds quite situational so are there times first first of all when it, it doesn't work or do we not, or do we not want to talk about well, that i think I, I mean i think the question is why does it work and 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 we're, again we're, we're talking about lots of different levels it's pretty well um i'm not sure if that uh, was the question but yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, we, no we need because in order to ask what when it won't work we've got to understand what's happening okay when, when it, it does, does work. work so I just, exactly what's happening okay, when it does so work. let's put aside learning facts because i think that's pretty well established right yeah. if you're invested in a game you're you have attention you have agency you know you were gonna you're gonna pay more attention to the stuff you're doing which is why uh you know geography lessons did nothing for me but playing risk means i know where kamchatka is yeah and um and i think most people really if they're asked to find kamchatka on uh, on on a map it's probably going to predict whether or not they they played risk ever um so that put that aside the question is you know what what are we what are we learning about systems when playing a game and i here it really comes down to i I suspect that it comes down to the extent to which the game you're playing maps onto some set of real world decisions. So, you know, there's a a game which uh, is very highly respected and which I uh, think is really good fun called Twilight Struggle, which is about the Cold War, um, where your task is to try and um, essentially place influence around the world um, so that your, your ideology, if you're the US or if the USSR, wins and it has has greater influence in in uh, across the world than the opposing ideology and there's lots of different strategies you can use to try and do that within the game um do we learn about the cold war from that right so as i've said we learn lots about uh, facts we, we there are cards which cover things like the kitchen debates so you, you'll find out what that is and so on but am i as a, am i actually learning something about the decision problem that the us or the ussr face now they, and this is where the debate would come in do I have a greater understanding of why Kennedy behaved the way that he did during uh, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, for example, by playing this game? And I think that's that. I, I th- that is actually something you would need to know about the subject. So the extent to which you're going to a, a particular game will teach you about a system is is really to do with the fidelity of that game to to the problems faced by people within that system. Um, so so it's not the case that you know games will teach you about real world systems it, but it might be that a game will 
if it closely approximates that system. So, you know, something like a flight simulator is designed to be very, very similar, similar to real flying. And, and I don't think anyone doubts that, that using a flight simulator gives you a better understanding of how to fly a plane. Sure. OK, that makes sense. So, well, give me an example for yourselves, uh, both Peter and Nick, where some sort of game that you've played you feel has you know whether in your present career or or previously you feel that that has benefited you well in in my previous um, previous jobs i've been involved in lots and lots of different military war game simulations um they are they are greatly favored um in in the military for training staff Notable ones uh, on on the advanced staff course um, that all the senior officers go on in, in in UK forces. They run a very large exercise over the course of uh, well, it was it used to be a week and possibly uh, it goes between a week and two weeks. Um, and it's a simulated environment where the staff generate a, a scenario. Um, the 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 uh, the uh, it's a it's a real world like scenario with lots of so that you can use reuse real world information as background. Uh, there are as a competitive element so you have teams that are in direct competition with each other uh, and um they 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 have at each other and they and they they attempt to win they attempt to fulfill their objectives um on their side uh, and i've been involved not as a player but as sort of staff um helping generate serials and keep monitor the game um and the the you know, aside from the sort of the the agency and the involvement, the emotional attachment, and all the sort of the neurological effects that that has in terms of retention and being involved, uh, there there are lots of other sort of fringe benefits that you get from uh, from from games like this. For example, um, the uh, the t- team working and things are reinforced, and the ability to sort of tackle problems together and solve problems together um, is, is is improved. And also, it means the instructors, rather than sitting there in front of the class dictating information can take an outside view and spot where where people are performing well or, or poorly and intervene um, and, and provide sort of more more useful feedback okay but i want a concrete example where you say i do this better because of that well like i can throw in the example of a game that i've got called the hammer of the scots which is about the scottish wars of independence between william wallace and edward the first and um uh, and uh, you know various other characters uh, of the time. Um, I was playing that with a friend of mine who's also a former uh, war gamer for government in the civil service club. And um, a chap came over and asked what we were doing, and I explained the scenario to him. And he said, "This is just like um, Afghanistan." And uh, you know, essentially, you have a a, a much a, a very strong force, um, external uh, force, which is the English in this particular game, who um, you know are invading uh, Scotland to quell a rebellion. Yeah. And at the same time, you have uh, the Scots who start out very weak, but have the advantage of additional mobility. They have um, and they have local support, which turns out to be fairly crucial when you play the game. Now, it isn't obviously a model uh, of modern day Afghanistan, but by playing that game from both sides a few times, you, it gives you additional models with which to think about the real world to say, OK, well, actually, you know, uh, what kinds of asymmetry might we expect to see here? To, to what extent is this a model? And can I use that to think about what I need to do? Um, how do we respond to, um, you know, people, uh, to, to enemies where there's a great asymmetry of force? 
um, and what kinds of tactics might we expect them to do uh, to, to use now it's not going to give you a prediction about that but what it will give you is some ways of thinking about the problem um, which are a bit more structured than just you know reading about it all this makes sense and it all I agree with everything you're saying but I still haven't heard a, a concrete example okay of, so go on. more concrete example then um, uh, much of my uh, sort of understanding uh, when I was young when I was younger about the ec economics uh, microeconomics of town, around businesses and towns and trade and how how that sort of stuff worked came from playing games like Civilization and SimCity, yeah. which provided me with simple understanding frameworks for how things interact in these sorts of economic systems that I was then able to build on with real more real life information. Okay. So I was sort of decorating these framework trees of understanding with additional information but had i not played those games i wouldn't have had this tree to to, to flesh out but uh, if you want a, a, a an example from really the real world um the the uk ministry of defense uses war games to test its force structures so if we you know we we have some view as to what kinds of um what kind of military equipment we might have uh, what sorts of military forces we'll have in say 10 15 years time um we use real world scenarios and they're played out in a war game and i've i was in, uh, involved in generating one of those scenarios and i went to see what they were doing and um in the scenario the the uk were trying to deploy forces along a road um but you know it turned out that that road was much narrower and had less capacity than um than it looked like from a map you know so that that tells you something okay well if we are going to de deploy to um landlocked countries we need to you know go and investigate whether or not our our um logistic capabilities are uh, up to scratch for those sorts of tasks now that had a real world impact on our policy okay great i'm satisfied um look, we need to draw things to a close but i feel we've only just scratched this i think we should do another podcast on this to sort of really delve into um the wargaming side of things and i think i'm interested yeah in in you know what can we learn from from playing i think there's more rich material here i know if, uh, you know just to wrap things up I, my own personal example i know what i've learned from playing games which is mainly disappointment and how to deal with <laughs> disappointments in life and i think a classic is and i can't remember if i've mentioned this on a podcast before but when i was a kid i really liked the 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 comic um and annuals of warlord i don't know if you're familiar with that but there was a, a secret agent who was called Lord Peter Flint, um, who was mild-mannered, but actually, you know, a secret agent. And um, and him, one thing that he used to say throughout all the, these comics, when inevitably he defeated his, his German nemesis, was that, um, oh, well, you know, no wonder that he's so upset because they never learned to play cricket. Okay. And, and for years, I never really understood what they were talking about until I played cricket myself and sort of the disappointment of, because cricket is a very harsh game because um, who, who, who cares about, unless you're a bowler, who cares about fielding? It's just standing around for hours being bored. Um, and your only moment of glory and having fun is going out to bat. Okay. But that can be over in an instant. And so, um, so it is a great way to learn about disappointment in life. Picking up the disappointment thing, I think that relates to there's an interesting neurological studies, and maybe that's where we can go on the next podcast. But just to, just as a teaser, um, the 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 disappointment bit relates to sort of the uncertainty of the game, and the, the gaming environment provides you with assuming you've got equally matched teams, you know, you you can predict uh, roughly 
uh, what the probability of going to be of winning is. But you don't know. You don't know how well these other teams are going to perform against you. So you don't your expected return on the reward, whatever it is, whether it's just the kudos of winning or some sort of prize, is uncertain. And it's been demonstrated that uncertainty uh, in um, in in learning environments and 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 uh, in sort of challenging cognitive tasks environments actually correlates to the amount of dopamine released in the brain so if you're if you're uh, unsure about what's going to happen you're you're more aware you're more sort of tuned in and, and that's this is perhaps where the 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 engagement and the emotional attachment comes from because that's why people get addicted to gambling where there's exactly yeah, yeah. but I, I think yeah i mean this is only a hypothesis but it, you know i think people people playing a game at least against another player might do something to uh, alleviate the the sort of control bias, the the illusion that we're in more control of things than we are, and that's something which you you know we could perhaps look at in future as being a driver of um, you know certain kinds of military decision errors, uh, the belief that we have more control over the outcome than we than we actually do, um, but that is only a hypothesis. As I said, this isn't something that's been very widely studied. So okay, there's definitely lots of material here for future podcasts. I think, um, and then to really wrap things up. Um, I've played a board game with you, Nick, which was Twilight. What did, what did you call it? Called? Twilight Twi- Struggle. Twilight Struggle. And what I learned from that is I never want to play another board game with you because it's, I, that game went on for hours. Yeah, t- two hours. Yeah. That's no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it was more like six hours, and well, like it was two o'clock in the morning. I just wanted to go home. Yeah. And you were winning by that point, and you said, "No, no, you've got to sort of see this yeah. through." And it was it was so complex that game. Um, I think this is all a matter of relative. If you think that, I mean, there are games that I know that that you know make Twilight Struggle look like noughts and crosses. So you know, I I like playing. I like playing games with Nick because he he, it's 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 just fun. But um, we never play the same game twice, so I never ever have a chance of winning because he always has a slight advantage of knowing the rules. Okay, Um, and so uh, we've played we've played games on numerous occasions, and I think we've played one game more you know twice and once okay there's definitely a lesson in there somewhere that you know to do with it's all very well playing games but don't play with someone who knows how to play the game or (laughs) or maybe that is the whole point that you know this person's really good at the real thing because they've been playing this game so often anyway that's slightly bland conclusion from my side but anyway um we'll stop there Thank you very much, guys. Uh, I enjoyed that. Um, you've been listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast with Aleph Insights with, with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill. Thank you very much. And until next time, goodbye.